Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Taymour Azhari. I'm joined as usual by Nizar Hassan. How's it going, Nizar? Going well, man. Uh, it's good to be back uh, with you on the show. Definitely, it's it's been a little bit of a while. You know, uh, you know, there's there's been ups and downs, but we are now back. Uh, we have a, a very interesting schedule over the next weeks. And today uh, we are joined by Hussein Al-Ashi. He's a lawyer, activist, and he is the secretary general of Mintishreen, one of the new opposition parties that have sort of come out of and been galvanized by the protests we had in, in 2019. Uh, hi, Hussein. How's it going? Hi, Taimur. Uh, hi, Nizar. Thank you for having us. And looking forward for this uh, podcast today. Thank you. We're very excited to have you, Hassan, and to know more about uh, Mentishreen and what you've been doing. Uh, but before that, we're going to go over uh, a quick overview of the news of the week. And, sure. and this, this week, we had some of the most unexpected news, I think, in the Middle East in, in sort of you know, the, the, the past decades is that Bashar al-Assad won, won the Syrian elections again oh with 95.1%. Are you serious? <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, and I think that, and Nizar, you, you were sort of puzzled about this, right? Yeah, I was puzzled because, you know, analysts, uh, including myself, have been figuring out, trying to figure out why it's not 99%. I mean, where did the other, you know, 4% go? So, yeah, congratulations uh, for this, you know, democratic... The winds, are, the winds of change are blowing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's sort of, you know, just a, a little bit of region news but i think that we can start with the with the covid update and this was sort of a source of a lot of stress uh, a source of a lot of bad news in the past months but recently in the past few weeks things have gotten a lot better um in the past week we've we've see, been seeing between six and seven deaths per day and around 300 to 500 cases obviously any death is too much but if we compare it to the the amount that, that was around before and we were talking 50 60 70 things are going much better. We have uh, a number of hospitals who have closed and are continuing to close COVID wards that had sort of been ready during the peak that we had over the winter months. And today we have this AstraZeneca marathon uh, across the country where anyone over 30 uh, can get the, their first dose. And so far, uh, you know, it's, it's rolling updates, but we have around 7,000 people who've gotten it just today. Uh, so far, 5% of eligible population has been fully vaccinated in Lebanon and 10% have received at least one shot. So we're still far away from, you know, that, that high level that we're looking at, but slowly increasing. We had an interesting statement by the health minister this week saying that uh, the, the herd immunity in the country was around 50%. Some people have disputed that uh, number, but he's basically arguing that because so many people have gotten COVID and plus the vaccinations, we're, we're at about 50% herd immunity. So things do seem to be looking a bit better there. And my theory has always been that summer is better because you're just not stuck at home. People are outside, people are dining outdoors. Um, and so fingers crossed things continue on this trend. Um, and, and so the, we had another bit of news that actually isn't very positive this week. And it's part of the continuing slide of the state's finances with all the implications it has for life in the country. Uh, this week, we had a back and forth between medical suppliers and the central bank about delays in payment. Uh, this is for basic medical supplies and, and baby formula as well. Payments were delayed. This means that the supplies don't get to where they need to go. Um, th this can have pr pretty serious effects for people who are waiting for surgery in hospitals. Uh, and, and things like that. And, and so we did in the end get the central bank uh, dispersing uh, around 100 million uh, worth of, uh, you know, 100 million dollars to sort of pay for these supplies. But Lorient Lejour uh, reports that there's still hundreds of millions of dollars outstanding. And the central bank clearly said that it can't pay for all of this because then it would dip below the so-called mandatory minimum reserves of uh, around, uh, I believe it's 15 percent or so. And this week, we also saw the, the lira exchange rate to the US dollar going up again, surpassing 13,000. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the, the continuing collapse. You know, there's lots uh, of things you can say about uh, how the central bank has been managing crisis. But I think one of them here is in relation to uh, the reserves. We're stuck in this pattern where the central bank is like, oh, I don't have money. And everyone goes on panic, right? And then one week later, uh, the central bank is like, yeah, we resolved it in a way or another. So what is this magic happening? You know, like the lack of transparency has gotten to a new level in terms of um, 
people just making people anxious on purpose you know right right <laughs> if you can resolve it one week later i bet you can plan in advance for things like medical supplies you know we're not talking about such a minor thing or a surprise item that they need to fund at last minute it's a it's 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 a fundamental purpose of the whole uh, subsidies right and you know, to to protect people's lives and you know, make sure people don't die because of the lira exchange rate. Right, and I've said it before and I'll say it I'll say it again in Lebanon is I think one of the only countries in the world where the general public hear about this on nightly news bulletins. We know when there's a new ship with fuel arriving at the port, you know, we know <laughs> when the central bank hasn't paid for a port a, a few checks. This isn't thing, you know, this isn't stuff that the average person should actually be forced to to know about and base their lives on. Like, oh, I'm going to be able to fill my car next week because the tanker is arriving and the central bank is going to finally pay for the funds that's these are things that should be sorted out in government by by the people in government but we just have this complete lack of responsibility um and so it keeps expressing itself it's like it's like the only advantage of bureaucracies it's which is that people don't have to worry about this stuff right you know but maybe they're doing it for our own benefit maybe it's just that we you know <laughs> accumulate so many like different skills in life right understanding <laughs> letters of credits and uh, central bank mechanisms exactly yeah the I, way I mean, you know, when you were talking about lack of transparency so i i remember that this week also uh, the smp report talked about you know the restructuring of the lebanese banking system and they said it could range from 23 billion dollars to 102 billion dollars so imagine <laughs> This was the bail-in, right? This was the, the bail-in, exactly, the bail-in right. plan, right? Yeah. So imagine how, how much we lack data, how much we lack information. Uh, there's so much we, that we don't know that even a plan like this could range. I mean, it could go from 23 billion to 102 billion. So this is, this is a major problem that we have always had since the beginning. We do not have the data. Like how much money do we have right now? How much money do banks owe? And it's been happening over and over again. And I think this should be resolved, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, can you really plan if you don't have figures, if you don't have data? I don't think so. No, exactly. And, and I mean, in, in the past, uh, Lebanon has always resorted to begging. And that's something that's exactly. continuing in full force now. I mean, this mm -hmm. week we had the army commander, Joseph Aoun, uh, flying to France, uh, where he met with, uh, you know, army leaders. And he also met with Emmanuel Macron, the French president. And Reuters reported that he, uh, he basically pleaded with Macron for funding for the Lebanese army. Um, and there were reports that Macron is going to oblige and perhaps organize a donor conference for the army in June. Iraq is already providing $2 million in cash. And we, we all know that Iraq also isn't doing extremely well in, in terms of the state finances. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's this uh, this situation where, you know, Joseph Aoun a few months ago said that soldiers were starving, that the, the army was heading towards an implosion, that uh, Lebanese leaders don't care about this in, in very outspoken remarks. And, mm -hmm. and now we see him flying abroad to try and get a few uh, get a few dollars for the army as well. Um, it's it's uh, it's sort of a, it's humiliating. A, a, yeah, it is. It's very humiliating. It's a difficult. I'm not thing a very patriotic see. person. I don't believe <laughs> in this patriotism, but like it's humiliating to see your army commander going around asking for money. Like definitely, just as humiliating as it's seeing the pictures of soldiers picking up cardboard boxes with pasta and mm, tomatoes, exactly. which have already been donated by 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 various uh, international donors, including the French. Actually, they provided cardboard boxes with with just literally, you know, nutrition. Um, and, 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 you know, just to sort of end the news segment on another financial statement, it's, it's been a, a, a finance-heavy segment, is we, we had another sort of just incredible statement this week by the finance minister who said that he was asking Electricité de Liban, the state uh, electricity corporation that hemorrhages money, um, he had asked them how they will pay back about 37 trillion Lebanese lira in transfers from 1997 to 2020. Um, and that's about $25 billion at the official rate, which is a hilarious statement because it's like, hey, Nizar, you know, like we're, we're, we're friends and, and you know, uh, you know, like uh, you remember that like uh, 37 trillion that you owe me for for the past 23 years. How are you going to repay that? But it, but it's it's ridiculous because they're in government together. These, you know, the finance minister and the electricity company, like these people are in there together. And you have this public statement by the finance minister saying like, yeah, about those 37 trillion uh, liras. Like, how, how do you plan to repay those? It's, I mean, mind-boggling, really mind-boggling. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, we're at this, uh, in the last couple of years, we've been in this period when 
you know, it's similar to other countries just before major sectors are privatized. Um, you know, you see a government saying things that are very weird. Like in this case, for example, they're saying, okay, our electricity company owes this much money, huge sums of money uh, to the government. Uh, so basically what is what, what what you can conclude from this is someone will have to come here and say, okay, I can settle this debt or part of it and I'll take care of the of the company. I'll manage it from now on, etc. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just I, I was I was hanging out with a friend a couple of nights ago and, and sort of talking about Lebanon. And I came to a new definition of Lebanon, which is that Lebanon is factual satire. It's <laughs> it's it's like an onion headline, except that it's true. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and some people are trying to, you know, change this um, <laughs> this uh, surreal situation that we're living in, uh, including people like Hassan and, and his comrades in Mintishrin. So, Hassan, let's talk about this. Uh, this is, uh, yani, we'd love to talk a lot about Mintishrin, but the, perp- the main purpose is, is to try to understand where the anti-establishment movement in Lebanon is today, the opposition, the new opposition, whatever you want to call it, and I'm okay. interested to, to know how you want to call it. Uh, we're less okay. than a year from when supposedly the elections, the parliament and uh, municipal elections are happening. Uh, so we want to kind of understand the context, uh, the context of the new opposition uh, now. Uh, but let's start with you telling us just a little bit about Mintishreen and how it started. So um, like many of the groups, because everything started as a group uh, on the eve of October 17, Mintishreen uh, started with a group of young men and women that uh, found themselves on this eve uh, on the streets of Beirut. So um, at first they did what everyone did, uh, tents, uh, ground action. They closed uh, two main intersections actually for weeks and months. And uh, then they, we started moving into... Um, seminars because we realized that people were very thirsty for knowledge people wanted to know more i mean this was a generation that was completely excluded from the political uh, life in this country and so we did that we had one about the electricity about the economy about the euro bonds and um then the first COVID wave hit Lebanon. And this is when we came back to our houses. We were a little bit depressed, but we allocated then all our resources towards some uh, social initiatives. We created Baitna Baitak uh, to help first responders, paramedic nurses and doctors who couldn't back, uh, go back home. Uh, we had another initiative. Uh, we created uh, uh, some masks because some of us didn't want to leave the streets even during the, the COVID outbreak and the right. lockdown. So we did that. And I think another very important date for Mintishreen was the 4th of August. It was the blast because, as you know, we, we hold this, uh, this area very dear to us. I mean, this is where we held our ground in the protest. This is where we live. We go to school. And uh, this is where we were oppressed, you know, by the police state, by the, uh, I mean, the political party thugs. And after the blast, we found ourselves again on the streets, this time for another reason. Uh, The first night was, of course, just getting the wounded uh, to hospital. Then we uh, set up base camp. It was a very big relief camp. It grew very quickly. Uh, We had a lot of people helping us on the streets. And um, four days later, on the 8th of August, there was this big protest. This was probably the first time when uh, some of our most pacifist members even turned, uh, I mean, violent that day. And we thought, we thought during that day that we were going to take down parliament. And that, of course, didn't happen. As you know, we were really uh, massacred in the streets. We were oppressed. We had 12 wounded from Mintishreen. And on that night, on the 8th of August, we decided that we have two options, right? Some of some people in the, you know, in the heat of the moment were like, there's no way we need to fight them with arms or whatever. No, we took a deep breath and we thought that the only way to really win against this political class is to really embark on the political scene, is to create uh, an organized political, uh, let's say, movement to go and create a political party. And this is what we've been doing for almost a year now. We've been um, creating our uh, political instruments. Uh, we created a task force comprised of 40 people of our members. So, um, and there were subdivisions, uh, a group created a political program, a roadmap. 
Another created internal structures and bylaws. And the last one prepared an election. We've had an election just now. And on Tuesday, actually, in a couple of days, we will be presenting our dossier to the Ministry of Interior to actually establish the political party. Okay, so uh, what is Mintestreen in terms of like in, in the landscape of this new opposition? Uh, is it similar to other organizations? Do you see other kind of actors uh, that you get involved in as a political organization? How does the landscape look to you? Okay, so um, the first thing I want to say is that Mintishreen um, is a new movement, right? I mean, it started with October, with the uprising on October 17th. Um, the members of Mintishreen, uh, some of them have very minor political uh, experience. Uh, some of them worked at a certain uh, period of their lives, let's say, in the university elections. But most of us are really, really don't really have uh, uh, that that big experience in, let's say, the public domain. And this is not just Mintishreen. This is generational. So we realized that there's a whole generation in Lebanon that was completely excluded from politics, complete exclusion. And this is why at the beginning, as I was telling you, there was a lot of thirst to know. People wanted to know more, you know? Like, uh, so what is the difference between the right and the left, you know? What is a liberal? What is a progressive? So we went into all of that. And when I say we, I don't even mean Mintishreen. We, it was us and other uh, new groups uh, in the, this new political landscape. So how things are now? Today, we see that, so they, there are three main um, opposition, let's say, coalitions. You see the first uh, uh, coalition is to the left. You see, uh, for example, um, parties like Muatinu, Muatinat, uh, Fidaula. Uh, you see uh, Usama Saad. Uh, you see maybe the Communist Party. Uh, and this is the left coalition. I mean, it's not a coalition yet, but this is how it looks. Uh, and you look at the, on the right, and when I say right, I don't mean just the right in your uh, traditional sense of way, so the right-wing parties. No, uh, some of them even uh, uh, identify as social democrats or to the left, but they are on that right-side coalition. And this is the coalition of the Kata'ib, uh, of Taqaddum, of uh, Likatishreen, and other groups from uh, the opposition. Now, Mintishreen is in the centrist coalition. And I think this was uh, one of the few coalitions that actually uh, had the launch event, or I'm not going to call it, it was the launch of the coalition per se, but it was an ida, so it was a call to action for all right. other groups to come and join this coalition. And it was uh, symbolically uh, uh, launched on the 13th of April, so when the uh, civil war erupted in Lebanon, because we wanted to tell the public, uh, the larger public, so this is us and this is them. So there's, you have a choice to make now. Either you go with these new or, uh, let's say, uh, progressive political parties that identify as center, or you can opt for the traditional parties who got you to the collapse that we are now currently living in. Basically, uh, exactly. It was, <laughs> it was actually from that chant. Uh, the whole idea came from that chant. And okay. uh, so, um, who do we have in, uh, in that coalition? Uh, we have, of course, some parties you already know. And uh, let me give you an example. There's uh, the Bloc National, Kitlil Wataniye, Beirut Madinati. You find Al Marsad Shabi. You find Tahaluf Watani. You find Mintishreen. But there's also um, regional uh, groups. And regional groups okay. are very important for us. Why? Because, uh, as you know, the, the revolution was decentralized in Lebanon. It wasn't just in Beirut. It was in Beirut for the first couple of nights, maybe. But then you saw people uh, organizing protests uh, in Tripoli, in Akkar, in Saida, in Nabatiyya, in Sur, in the Baqa, everywhere in Lebanon. So um, we have multiple regional groups that have joined that coalition before the launch and even after the launch, and this is very important for us, after the launch, multiple groups really went into contact with us and told us that we want to be part of that coalition. Okay, so, can you name uh, a few? Because I got the sense that basically, you know, there was a, a, a period after the protests where 
you know, five, every five guys in the neighborhood would create yeah. a tajamma <laughs> and, and would have a Facebook page and a Twitter it's and true. an Instagram. So, you know, who, who are these people and, and, you know, what is their role here? It's true, it's true. And even Mintishreen, uh, Mintishreen started as a very small group. And we had a lot of groups who actually joined Mintishreen and are, are now part of Mintishreen. They dissolved this group. So the paysage, the landscape, really evolved over time. And you see mm. a lot of uh, these groups uh, not disintegrating, but actually joining bigger parties or joining other groups, which is very something very positive for the whole landscape. Right. And when we talk about the regions, so, um, so part of the plan of the coalition was to actually move and have these events in multiple regions of Lebanon. So the first event was in Zgharta. It was uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it was uh, a really uh, good event because uh, we saw that there was a lot of uh, groups that got together in Zgharta uh, to actually be part of that coalition. Uh, for example, we have the Zgharta Zewi group. Uh, okay. in, in, in two weeks, we will be in Zahli. Okay? And after that, we will be in multiple other regions in Lebanon. And it's going to be like a tour. you know. So we'll be going from one region to the other just to meet with these groups groups just to talk more and have more uh, relationships with them, building up, of course, to the elections that are coming in less than a year. And um, what I can also tell you is that we're currently working on the governance structure. It's very important because at the end of the day, you want these new groups to have a say uh, in that structure. And of course, on the main political ideas and the main political plan for that coalition. Uh, so this is all in the making and it's in process. So when you talked about the different coalitions that have been formed, you put it in the context of ideological differences. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure I, I see this. This When you're, you're mentioning the names of these different groups and different parties, I don't see clear ideological differences, right? I don't see like the left coalition being really leftist. I mean... Exactly. is not left it's not a leftist party the discourse is not a leftist discourse uh, it doesn't have the class element is is only when talking about the economic crisis and like distribution of losses but it's not a main you know inspiration for the discourse the communist party uh, you know it's called the communist party but <laughs> uh, the discourse is basically um, center left liberal discourse european liberal discourse or with a bit of secularism but like what, what even it's even more complicated when you're trying to distinguish between the people you call the centrist coalition and the people on the right. Um, for example, Kataib uh, and Tahalif Watani. Which one is more right or center? You know, Mintishreen and um, National Bloc. I think most of the groups that you, you you located in the center and the right are groups that are claiming to be post ideological. Am I am I wrong Thank to you. say that? Yeah, but I did signal when I was answering that I'm gonna call them left and right uh, to simplify mm -hmm. things because for the trained eye, it's true. You can tell a difference. I mean, you can really uh, look at their. Um, I'm not going to say ideologies, look at their programs and read their statements. You can, of course, tell that. But for the ease of things, I call them center, left and right, you know, so your the audience can really just uh, see them on a, you know, on a landscape. But you're 100 percent right. Most of these parties, for example, Mintishreen, the first thing we say is that we're non-ideological, we're post-ideological. We do not have a rigid ideology that we abide by, okay? We're pragmatists, but we're not pragmatists in the uh, uh, negative connotation of the word. We're pragmatists when we say that. I mean, for example, I'm going to give you a small example. When we had our discussions about our economic plan and our social policies, if you look and you read the social plan or social policies, you, you might think that we're a bit to the left, okay? But because right. we live in a state of collapse, you know, we need to have this social safety net. We really need to have that today. This is why Mintishreen opted to go for some leftist policies. You go somewhere else in the program, you realize, okay, when you talk about the economy, the, political, the economic identity of Lebanon, it's more to the center right of the spectrum. So I agree with you, Nizar. Uh, they're post-ideological, it's uh, neopolitics, and I think uh, it really suits the country because in this country, it's so, everything is so volatile. You know, uh, it could change from one week to the other. And this is why we need to have like an open mind about what policy to support in what context and to be able to really make decisions very fast and decisions that are mostly discerned from the rigidity of ideological uh, affiliations. Okay, thank you. So 
On one hand, I understand how this is a decision or an orientation for a political movement. But when we're thinking of the landscape, um, when ideology is not what brings groups together or apart, then what is? And I'm here inviting you to kind of reflect on what really has brought these groups together. together? Because the real question here is uh, one that uh, people ask on the mainstream ordinary uh, discourse level every day. They ask, why are you not unified? Why are there different groups and different coalitions, etc.? Is it egos at play? You know, yeah, what, what, they always yeah. ask if it's oh. ego, because that's usually the first answer that comes to mind. But we know it's much more nuanced than that. We're not trying to ask the question the same way, but we're thinking, okay, so really, what brings the Halofotan and Mitishreen and Kitli Wataniya together, but not with Taqaddum? Is it the presence of Kata'ib or uh-huh. in that other coalition or... What is it exactly? Uh, or even like, you know, I don't think their discourse contradicts Mentrishreen's discourse in any way ideologically. Um, is it more about political practice and how they work? So just get us a bit into this picture. So, okay, um, let's just go back a little bit and think about uh, the political landscape in Lebanon and how it's still, unfortunately, it's still very much affected by identity politics, right? So there's multiple factors why uh, these coalitions got together. One of the factors that you just stated, it might be, for example, the Kata'ib issue. Uh, some parties or some individuals, some factions, up, to, up until today, refused to have the Kata'ib considered as a revolutionary or a progressive, uh, uh, let's say, party. Because they believed that Kata'ib had had, um, I mean, it's a confessional party. Uh, uh, they've had uh, corruption in multiple uh, historic, let's say, eras uh, in Lebanon. Uh, they have the feudalism the Jmail family, feudalism. So they have a lot of issues with the Kata'ib party. This is, this is a factor. Another right. factor is Hezbollah, right? And how, what's your stance against Hezbollah? Because when you talked about Muatinu Muatinat, most of the factions really had uh, one thing towards, uh, or a multitude, but the most important thing they had towards Muatinu Muatinat was their positions toward Hezbollah. Now, if you go on that front, for example, you would see that there's some convergence or a lot of conversions between what we called the right coalition and the centrist coalitions in terms of sovereignty. But if you throw Kata'ib into the mix, then a lot of the centrist parties would refuse Kata'ib to be, be a part of their coalition. So uh, at the end of the day, it's multiple factors that come into play. And um, I think that all these parties, what they really think about is how their bases would really accept that faction or this faction. So if we come today and we right. say that um, the co-centrist party want to have, let's say, an alliance with the Kata'ib or the Communist Party, that wouldn't go well with their bases. They would say that these parties were part of the war. And this is part of the revolutionary puritism that is still there. I mean, things mm-hmm. have evolved. They've progressed, okay? Uh, we're not on the same, uh, let's say, on the same level where we were six months or a year ago, okay? But mm. uh, uh, there's still some, uh, let's say, uh, big obstacles in the way of a broad coalition that goes throughout the spectrum uh, for the elections. Okay, and so then your, your position then as Mintishrin, you know, as you as the Secretary General of, yeah. of, the, of the party, your, your position seems to be that we are not going to so far align with the Communist Party or the Orkata'ib, these sort of representations in different ways of tr- traditional or old school politics in the country. Is that correct? Um, yes, but there's a nuance here. So in Mintishreen, and I go back to pragmatism, in Mintishreen yeah. we always said that, okay, we're a new youth-led party, uh, of course, we're, uh, maybe we identify sometimes as center-right, so with the centrist parties, um, but we have this policy of openness. Even mm-hmm. if the Kata'ib or the, let's say, Usama Saad are not with us, in that coalition, we need to have an open line of communication with these parties for the sake of running an election later on, right? So what we did, for example, we were the first parties to actually have very openly and very transparently, uh, you know, a meeting with the Kata'ib. And we did the same with Usama Saad after he took very advanced and progressive positions and statements in the last few Mm. months. 
so this is our position as a party. We're, of course, in that coalition, but we're very open. Uh, we need to have an open line of communication because at the end of the day, Taimur uh, Nizar, if we really want to achieve something in the next elections, we need to at least, at least have an, have an open line of communication and to cooperate in certain districts with parties that are not really in that coalition. Okay, we're going to talk uh, next about the, the, the elections and the strategy uh, sure. that we need. But just before that, I just want to ask like a, a final follow-up question on this coalition formation and alliances issue. So when you're thinking about it, you're thinking about results, obviously. You're thinking about like the, the, the ideas, the manifestos of groups, maybe uh, to a lesser extent, right? It's not clear what, what the criteria is when you dis- I mean, you mentioned many different factors, right? But uh, when you were talking about Kata'ab, you kind of were critical of the discourse that says, uh, you called it revolutionary puritism, right? The discourse that says we should not ally with anyone who was part of the establishment before or whatever. Is this, I'm trying to understand, is this your view on Kata'ab? personally or were you talking about um, um were you talking about the rejection of kataab as a problem or were you saying uh, that you know we need to forget about the recent past uh, if the party is committed uh, to different things in the future for example is michel maawad a valid um, a valid ally or not he was very comfortable in the establishment until very recently similarly to kataab right until recently it was a party that was very com- it was comfortable it was part of the establishment it was trying to big get a bigger share uh, as all parties do and it failed and then it uh, moved to the to the opposition and it's not a wrong thing to do that it's great that kataab moved to the opposition my question is you know does it matter that in 2018 they still allied with uh, reactionary forces like right. the lebanese forces is it problem that they have an mp called nadim jmail who's you know the least at least very sectarian it's, it's, at least, it's a at major least, problem hmm. It's yeah. a major problem, and this is why uh, when we launched the Nida on the uh, there was two main criteria, okay? So the first one was non-confessional. It should be a non-confessional faction. And the second was that it should have no relationship whatsoever with any of the ruling class parties and mainly the big six Parties. And when we say big six, mm. of course, we mean Hezbollah, Harakit Amal, PSP, uh, uh, Future Aounie, Movement, Aounie, and uh, and Owet, uh, of course, Owet yeah. so the Lebanese forces. So uh, these, these were the main two criteria. But when I was uh, now talking to you about uh, puritism, no, what I meant is that even in Mintishreen, we believe that there's a lot that the Kataib haven't done to actually prove that they're in uh, that they they can be let's say a progressive uh, party and i just told you about all the different yeah. issues that we still have with the kataib party but my critique was towards not even opening a line of discussion like not even talking you know so what we say is that mm. okay this is our coalition this is where we stand okay but that doesn't mean we shouldn't even talk to other opposition faction because come on let's be realistic now at the end of the day if you go to the south and you see uh, the communist party aligning with uh, let's say Sharb uh, al-Nahas, Usama Saad, Muatinun and uh, Tanzim Shabi Nasiri and forming lists in the south and you have against them the Shia duo okay Thunay is Shia yes but where will you go you know are you going to vote for the Harakat Aman Hezbollah or are you going to vote there so, so it all it all goes back to the districts. I mean, I'm talking about the uh, now the voter uh, psyche. I'm not talking about alliances yes. or anything. So we 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 really need to think about this as well. And to be honest, at the end of the day, now we're just speculating because up until today, uh, there are no rigid and concrete data, and there's no concrete polls that come from certain districts. And I believe that making you know, the decision, the final decisions, should go back to this data, should go back to each district and where uh, the voter stands in each and every district. So right. up until today, this is not available. 
Right, and I think that here we can let let like let's dig into elections because that's sort of where we're gone. And and I think what we're getting at here is the strategic priorities for the opposition today. Yeah, there is some you know what w- what we've been sort of discussing and circling around is the idea of several different groups seeming to emerge. That's that's what you know what 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 you've been speaking about, or at least several. Uh, you know, broad, uh, maybe even loose uh, coalitions or mm-hmm. or parties with similar sort of outlooks. What is the strategic priority today for the opposition? Do you form a broad coalition? Do you, when it comes to elections, try to bring all of these people under the same lists, under the same, you know, sort of recreating the Tahal of Watani 2018 uh, experience? Uh, or do you differentiate? Because there are some people who say, you know, one of the issues in Lebanon is we have all these nascent uh, parties, but we don't yet have real politics. Uh, and and I think our, our conversation was a little bit sort of indicative of this in that w- we can start off by saying certain parties are left or right or center. But when you really look at it, it's hard to actually see how they are left or right or center. And so do we need to create that kind of a politics? Is it good to have maybe a right wing opposition party going against a left-wing opposition party or is that going to siphon votes away from the opposition in the whole and do you have to sort of really focus on this broad coalition answering that question i'm going to go back to my previous answer i'm going to tell you something that um Mm. i think it should be uh you know data driven you know making informed decisions it should be depending Mm. on each district on you know uh, we should have information to work with. Up until today, we are really only speculating. So I'm going to give you an example. Mm. Uh, yeah. Let's say we go to a certain district in Beirut, okay, in uh, the first district of Beirut, and uh, we look. So if these opposition parties will be with Kataib, okay, on the same lists, will they win? Like, aren't some people not going to vote for them because there's Nadim Jbayil and because everything that Nadim has said or because of the Kataib party yeah. issues that we discussed right now? Or maybe if they're alone, since it's a, a proportional system, they might actually do better if they're on two separate lists. So I think that the answer to that question should be based on very well-written uh, reports and you know, uh, data and polls and something that has not been done up until this day. Okay, right. And that's quite problematic, though. But, like, I, 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 yeah. I, I see exactly what you're saying, which is, you can't make electoral decisions based on non-electoral indicators, okay? Exactly. I, like, I, yeah, I'm not at all but discussing I, I, that, just to be clear. But I can I'm tell you something. Of... I can tell you something. That in the psyche, for example, of, you know, your typical young, uh, let's say, October 17th activist, they don't accept Kataib and they don't accept the Communist Party. A lot of them don't accept them. And this is the truth. This is, uh, this is what you see. Right. Uh, it was much more. It was much worse a year ago. Now I think uh, realism hit a lot of the bases. Right. But uh, mm. at the end of the day, we need to see uh, like what is the best scenario that can bring the best outcome in each district and uh, act accordingly. Okay. And of course, uh, some co- some alliances might never happen. Like uh, for some factions, there's no way to be allied, for example, with the Kataib. For other factions, there's no way to be allied with the Communist Party. And this is, of course, is a problem that is there and it's still here. Okay, so my question was, um, for example, uh, in the di- first district, district of Beirut, uh, if you're making a decision whether to ally with Kataib uh, or not, if you base it primarily on, uh, on uh, you know, polls and um, electoral projections, these kind of indicators, then the decision does not really relate to what it means for a new political movement to be running in Ashrafiyya and Sfaya and, and, you know, uh, and Jamaisia in this area under the, uh, the, under the wing of Kata'ab, because that's how it looks like, you know. The political sensitivity of something, something like that, uh, especially when you launch a coalition, for example, on April 13th, saying, we're, we're kind of the future, we're, uh, we're not the civil war uh, groups, we're the groups of the future, and then you ally with a movement that has traditionally played a specific political role in this area, which is to be, you know, um, to be the, the, the Christian party uh, in Ashrafi, with, along with the LF, uh, mm. right? It has a military exactly. background, identity history, but also like just culturally what Kata'ab means to people. 
is very different from what mentishreen means to people right of course the political, so this is why political so, culture yeah, of the, the 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 support base is uh, completely and the political message behind allying with kataib or with any other party for example with uh, let's take a, a different uh, example or not taking different things just make the bigger point which is like in each area uh, you're also you're measuring the electoral uh, possibilities but if you do that only then you will fall into a lot of traps in terms of uh, not actually creating a new political movement in that area because you want to make sure that you achieve the biggest outcomes so even if an area has communist party uh, members already but they are not progressive they're not uh, dispersing progressive discourse or they're not fighting the same battle as you uh, don't you need to get involved there and you know Uh, even if it means some conflict, but get involved there and try to, as much as possible, work on the grassroots level there to push for your own discourse. Because what I'm thinking, I'm thinking a bit uh, of taking your point and making it, uh, generalizing it a bit over all over the country. What will end up uh, happening is that each group will be stronger in a specific area, and then the other groups will be pragmatic and say, okay, so you're the leader in that area, which is a valid strat- electoral strategy. But does it uh, does it not contradict your politics? So uh, when I was discussing this with you, uh, I was uh, just uh, speculating on how the approach would be for the coalition because this is a coalition mm. uh, uh, decision. It's not uh, uh, only Mintishreen who takes that decision, and I think all of these decisions will be taken on a coalition uh, on the coalition platform. But let mm. me tell you about Mintishreen's approach. So. Uh, how we really view the elections, okay? So mm. in Mintishreen, we have a very, let's say, uh, special position because we looked at the landscape. We realized that mo- like almost all of these political parties in the opposition, everything they talk and discuss is the next parliamentary election, okay? And we realized, of course, it's, it's maybe the most important venue for change, but we need to do two things. One we need to manage expectations, and two, we need to work on another level. And this is when Mentishreen is really focusing. And when I say the other, Mm. that's changing the political culture. So people today are still very much attached to identity politics. I mean, we saw that on the 6th of June during the first uh, protest when, uh, you know, the Shia duo went in front of us and they started uh, raising these um, sectarian chants and then the Sunnis uh, did the same. And then we had clashes at night in Beirut. We saw it when the Lebanese forces took to the streets to beat up the voters of Bashar al-Assad on the streets of Beirut, uh, you know, resorting to extreme, uh, let's say, violence against them. So it's still there. And the political traditional parties are always resorting to identity politics to reinforce their basis. And it's actually working. Unfortunately, it's still working in some uh, cases. So what Mintishreen did was that, of course, we're going to put a lot and most of our effort into the parliamentary election. But there's two issues that we forget about. One is the municipal elections, the local authorities, and how important these municipalities will be, especially that now I think that we are almost certainly going towards some sort of decentralization. And the second issue is changing the cultural, uh, political landscape and how people perceive politics and to really neutralize the effect of identity politics or to at least start strategizing towards that goal. And so what we did, Mm. for example, our pilot project, let me tell you about our pilot project. The first project we're doing is called the Town Hall Project. What we're doing is we designated uh, six villages. This number will go to 15 villages from all over Lebanon to host town halls about eight big topics, topics such as secularism, decentralization, and topics that usually the traditional political parties use to discredit us. Because what we realized, we had uh, some scouting, uh, like we had a scouting exercise. We went, for example, Mm. to Shaba Farms, to Habariye. We went to Akar just uh, yesterday. We were in Akar. We went to Hamat in the north. We went to multiple villages and realized people there, the first thing that comes to their mind when they see a new new political political party emerging, saying that they're secular. Oh, so you are against God. Oh, so they ask us these questions, right? And so we realized that there, there needs to be, uh, uh, you know, some kind of discussion 
uh, in villages about these issues. So the first part is that discussion where we bring a speaker that will attract people that is well known in the region, like a very well known speaker, and people will come and listen to him. But the second part is the most important part. The second part of the, our town hall would be us listening to what they have as problems there and to actually designate some people from that village and youth especially that are going to execute projects that we will help support and mm. potentially finance through our diaspora networks for them to really gain the trust of their people within that village to be able to run for the next municipal election. So no, that, that's very interesting. I mean, when you speak yeah. about projects, what do you mean there? And I wanted to ask so, you more broadly about example. funding, but yes. Sure. Sure. You want, I'm going to give you a concrete example. Uh, we went to Habariye. It's a village in, in, next to Shaba Farms in the Arkub region. And so uh, we were walking with them scouting. So our scouting session is just you know, introductory sessions where we walk around the village and we see what they have problems and we, start, we brainstorm solutions. So we realized that they have this old Roman a temple in the middle of the village. They have two meteorite craters and they have mm. a beautiful landscape all around the village that could be excellent for an ecotourism project. So we brainstormed together and they pitched a couple of uh, projects like a zip line, a hiking trail. And we were actually now uh, working with them on developing an ecotourism project for that village executed by members who are now members of Mintishreen because we met them on the streets in Beirut. <laughs> and this is how right. we know them. And they used to come to all the protests. And now, so we're going to do that in Habariye. In Akkar yesterday, uh, it was the same thing. We scouted with uh, people from Akkar that we met also on the streets and we're doing the same thing over with them. Now, about funding, you were asking me a question about funding. So, um, first, let me tell you something. Up until today, we still don't have a bank account, so uh, our funding is still very, let's say, limited. It's from us, and it's not really a funding. But once we present our dossier and we, we get to open, hopefully, to open that bank account, um, we have a lot of members of Mintishreen who are in the diaspora, we have a lot of supporters of Mintishin who are not members per se, but who are very keen to help us and help support these projects, especially if they're from that village that we are going uh, to. Right. And we're going to actually activate all of this, you know, uh, in the near future. All right. Okay. So you're, you're speaking. It's interesting there because the, the funding and, you know, working on projects is, I mean, a thing that I don't traditionally associate with politics uh, outside of Lebanon. Uh, you know, it's it's there's a sort of a transactional element, and I and I and I completely understand the you know that there are areas that are uh, you know that that have severe severely underdeveloped. Um, it, it's just uh, it's an interesting tactic to me because you know and and without painting you in any way as traditional parties, it's it sounds like something you would hear like you know a, a traditional party do like we're gonna go to the village and drill a well for them and that way we we get loyalty right um, this is the difference we, we always opt for sustainability and we help right. them with you know with mostly it's uh, you know uh, our platform won't will never go and give them a coupon al benzine or a coupon right. for food or this is okay. not what we do we are totally against clientelism but we're with sustainability so if we can help them any in any shape or form to go and execute a sustainable project that will help them gain the trust of these people in their villages in order to actually win in the next mm. municipal elections, I think this is uh, like, it should be a good strategy. Before we talk about funding, just one follow-up question on that. So um, do you mean, for example, as a, if someone, um, a local actor that you associate with, uh, someone close to Mantishreen, you're working with them, and uh, you empower them to lead on this project and then to run for elections is that kind of the strategy if they don't want to run it's i mean it's their choice at the end of the day right but uh, we want to empower you know people in uh, away away from urban centers and especially away from beirut because this has been a big problem uh, when we go to certain villages there is huge misconception of all these new political parties. مش معقول يعني بخبرونا أصص أمرار بضحكوا يعني for example uh, we're known to be you know support LGBTQ plus uh, rights right so uh, sometimes we go into a village and the first thing they tell us because 
the traditional parties told them this. <laughs> they tell us, they go straight into you know, these issues. And we start and we open this, these conversations. And I think it's very important to open these conversations. Some of them mm. you know, go straight away and go say, they have this misconception of secularism. And you know, you're against God. This is what they say. So we need to actually have that open line of communication that hasn't been actually uh, happening. And we, we saw that in the last elections in 2018. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had the, the Halufatani and other platforms had Mandubin. It actually left them 48 hours before the elections. I mean, it could be for multiple reasons. They say that the political parties, you know, paid a lot of money. Or, because there is no attachment, there is no bonds between, you know, uh, these central parties and, uh, you know, other uh, regional, let's say, geographic locations in Lebanon. Right. And we need right. to solve that issue. So you're trying to basically not be uh, the people who come in on a parachute uh, a, a few weeks before the exactly. election. You're trying of to course. actually create a, a sort of network and a ground game, right? Of um, course. And, and we, we're thinking, we have something. Uh, we have a 10-year strategy. This is what we all, all tell everyone, okay? okay? So we're working now, and they're like, okay, what is this going to happen? And what will you do with the It's younger than Soviet planning, uh, <laughs> Soviet planning policies. But we need to start on multiple fronts. Yeah, yeah. Of course, most of our resources are, will be dedicated towards the parliamentary election. It's true. But man, we shouldn't really just focus everything there, and we really, really need to think, because you said it, Nizar, I think you said it, and no, how people perceive politics and we need to work on that front as well and this is actually i think it will help us managing expectations because why because if someone thinks that even today if we go and we win 70 electoral seats 80 okay do we really think that this uh, ruling class if we ever vote some let's say legislations that they don't like would they ever like really allow us to implement legislation? Ma, ma fi mishkli kaman ano. Hone the the constitutional institutions, mitel majlis nuwe, mitel like the parliament, like the government, are really fictional in a way. Yachay, the dialogue table, taulat al hiwar, aqwa min kill majlis nuwe, aqwa min government. It's it's much more powerful than any other institutions. You, you so mentioned there some some expectations, and I'd I'd like yeah. to get in, you know, without without uh, basically going going too far, and it's difficult. We're still a long time away, and we still don't know yeah. if elections will be held. Uh, but you mentioned expectations. You threw out, you know, numbers, which I think you were sort of referencing in a in a sort of you know loose way, seventy, eighty. Do you do you actually have? projections uh do you you know conservative perhaps estimates of how a, how much how many seats uh you you can actually get in the parliament um i think so, that's what you know it's we don't want to look at politics as uh, you know this sort of just uh, you know the ends because there's a whole road to get there uh but exactly. but i think it is still interesting to pose that question to you because we do hear wildly different numbers i've heard from one member of the opposition uh that if we don't get 50 seats uh you know then people don't know uh, you know then then people are basically stupid and yeah. and so i i'm i'm interested to hear from you what what you think there oh honestly so the first thing i want to say if we get under 10 seats it's a disaster because uh, I'm just talking, thinking about constitutional mechanisms here in Parliament because we need 10 to at least present laws. We at least go to the Constitutional Council in case there's uh, any unconstitutional laws that are presented by the traditional parties because they do that a lot, as we know. Right. So anything less than that is a disaster. And when I say 10, I mean 10 from the centrist coalition or let's say from the uh, 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 from the coalition that I am part of. Okay, We need to have at least... 10 members of parliament somehow. Uh, anything less is a disaster. Hello. And can you just speak a little bit about the details there? So like, do you have a roadmap to 10? Do you have an actual, is that is that a number you think you can surpass uh, rather than just being, yes. you know, the disaster number? Yeah, we can definitely surpass that number. And I, I mean, now, again, as you said, we're just speculating now. And it's, it is hard, yes, yes, the air. yes. Yeah, but uh, even if we have... 15 to 20, 25 members of parliament, okay? It's a, good, it's a good start, you know? You can actually change the dynamics within the parliament mm. with a block that is uh, 20 or more members of parliament. I believe that we can even surpass that number, okay? 
I, th I think we can do it. But saying that anything under 50 is, you know, people are stupid or I, this is, I'm totally against that because I mm. mean, yes. come on. It's a system that is a hundred or even more than a hundred years old, okay? And identity politics was at the core of this system. So right. let us not raise the bar too high. Let us manage our expectations because remember that this is a generation that hasn't really lived through the war. And when we first took to the streets on October the 17th, we, we really thought that after 2011, 2013, 2015, Beirut Madinat in 2016, we thought that this, we could be able to actually achieve change in the streets. And we did not manage our expectations properly. And we all went into a collective depression at some stage of the revolution. So uh, we shouldn't really fall into that trap again. We should be realistic and we should base our speculations, if any, at a later stage on numbers, as you said, numbers that are not really within our grasp at this stage. To speak very frankly, and you know, we're, we're discussing the way that identity politics and, and sectarian politics have sort of been prominent in this country and basically the way politics is done in this country uh, until now. You know, th when, 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 when people speak about forecasting the number of MPs, we hear this on TV, we hear them say, yeah, you know, from the Christians, you have the highest chance, you maybe get like 10 MPs from the Christians, you get maybe one or two from the Sunnis, one or two from the Druze, and if you're lucky, you get one of the Shias, but, but maybe not. Um, I wonder how you respond to that kind of a discourse. I think it, it, it never makes sense to sort of, you know, not talk about uh, these things because many people still see it in that way. Um, and so how do you approach a question like that? I mean, is it, uh, you know, do you, are you targeting a, a specific uh, sect? Uh, do, you, do you put more emphasis on a, on a specific sect because Hezbollah and, and Amal, you know, are able to get such incredibly high electoral thresholds? How do you tackle that? You know, you, you want to get post-sectarianism, but, but a lot of people and, and a lot of the way politics is done still falls into that mold. So uh, first, there's a misconception. OK, so uh, we always hear that, for example, uh, OK, the biggest battle will be in the Christian area. And then, you know, uh, you could do some score in this with the Sunnis. But if you go towards the Shia or the Druze, it's very hard. We always hear that discourse. OK, so yeah. the misconception is that even if some people are not as loud as others in some areas, but there is change. I mean, even if you think about the Shia paysage today, okay? Yeah. And if you go to the South, I'm from the South, and we visited the South on multiple occasions. You go to Nabati, you go to Sur, you go to some villages, things are changing. People are openly criticizing these parties. You know, this, this could never happen before, right? So even there, there is a chance to actually win seats. Okay, but this is the major difference. When we think about parliamentary seats, and if we really want to change that whole discourse, we shouldn't really think about a Shia or a Sunni or a Christian deputy. It's about a legislative agenda. So, yani, agenda tashri'i. A deputy or a member of parliament, the main, uh, his main task is not to go to, uh, you know, a funeral and Aza wa Asha wa it's to right. actually legislate, okay? So if I come and I put this agenda before the elections and I see that this potential member of parliament is with, you know, everything that has to do with the civil status laws, you know, civil marriage, if he's towards, you know, transitioning towards a secular state, if he's going to vote for, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know, cannabis, uh, another cannabis law, not this shitty law that we had. Or, yeah. So if he gives me that agenda, and I'm okay with it. Like, why should I think about anything else for that matter? If he comes from Kisirwen, if he's willing to vote on this and he's within the ideals of this coalition and he's able to win and we have, he has our support, then there's no problem, right? And so this right. is uh, actually approach that uh, should be adopted from now on. Uh, this member of parliament is not shouldn't really go into parliament to defend the rights of uh, the Christians or to defend the arms of the Shia, right? <laughs> he should go there and legislate and actually create legislations that we support. And I think this is another uh, issue that should be resolved in terms of the coalitions. Uh, at a certain stage, each coalition should have a very detailed legislative agenda and the voter should make their decisions based on that agenda.
I totally agree with you, uh, Hussein, on that. And also, uh, you know, to me, the real question is, 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 is not about, you know, where the MP is from. It's about where the new movements can break through the social fabric on the local grassroots level. So yes. that's a different question. And we will hopefully discuss it in future episodes. How do we really infiltrate the social fabrics that have been dominated by sectarian parties and their terrible political culture? Uh, but thank you so much, Hassan, for uh, for all the insights you've given us in this episode. Um, I yeah, enjoyed that. it's it's really been a joy to have you on. And and you know th this this podcast was initially uh, conceived by Nizad and Ben ahead of the 2018 elections. Uh, it was supposed okay. to, I think, be an elections podcast. Mm -hmm. And and a note for listeners, you know, in this in this next year, as we head towards elections, we will be focusing on this issue more. We have municipal, parliamentary, and presidential elections in 2022. And and so uh, thank you so much, Hussein, for being on. You've kind of, in a way, kicked off the electoral uh, season for us here. Um, uh, uh, so so again, thanks. And and uh, you know we will we will be having more people from various parties as well as sort of independent opposition analysts on in the weeks to come. Taimur, Nizar, thank you so much, uh, Susan as well. And uh, I hope we can actually meet in uh, the scope of podcast and uh, maybe I can give you some more information. Maybe I can even take your opinion on, on some strategies that uh, we're going to follow through. So we'd like to meet you guys uh, soon, maybe next week, the week after. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yalla, uh, looking forward to the next one. Hopefully. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Hassan. Okay. Um, Thank you, we'll be back next week uh, with another episode. Until then, I'm Nizar Hassan. I'm Taimur Azhari. And I'm Hussein Al-Ashi. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar Elfil.